We are glad to see such a turnout this afternoon. It indicates to us that there's a real need for this kind of a forum. Thank you for attending in advance of the forum. Does it? Is it okay? We're going to start. I'm going to ask Eckhart to lead us in a prayer before we begin. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, the one who designed us, the one who loved us so much that he come, came in the flesh and experienced in the flesh all temptations and frailties and weaknesses, the one that sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, the one that has all power in heaven and earth, and yet that has eyes and ears and hands and feet that are upon this earth, that they may minister the grace of Jesus Christ and to those in need. And as we have gathered here now, O oh Lord, we ask for thy blessing upon this meeting, this presentation, this sharing, O oh Lord, that we all can be encouraged, O oh Lord, to be those hands, to be those feet, those ears and eyes. Bless us now, O oh Lord, and do thou provide, for in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I especially want to welcome the men because this is usually a topic that women get very involved in but often men feel very inadequate in seeing needs and helping others who are hurting. First of all, I'm very thankful to have three people who are very heavily involved in helping the hurting on our panel. and. Herta is going to speak a little bit later, and Barb and then Martha will share some experiences. To begin with, I'd just like to introduce our topic somewhat. We'd like to leave room for a little bit of participation at the end of the, the forum presentation. So first of all, I want to start out by asking, who are the hurting? Who are the hurting? Most frequently, it's those who have come from dysfunctional families. Dysfunctional families are families that have all kinds of problems in, in running a household the way uh, it should be and the way God ordained it to be. And also those who have damaged emotions because of their childhood experiences. And there's a, an example in the Bible that I'd like to just share, and it's the story of Mephibosheth. Not sure if you even remember who he was, but he was Jonathan's son. And his nurse, if you remember, was running to escape for their life and dropped him. And he became lame for the rest of his life. And what did David do, King David? He looked around and he looked to find those who were left because they had made a promise that they would look after each other's families if one of them should die. This dropping of this child had nothing to do with Mephibosheth, but yet he suffered for it for the rest of his life. It was just an act that happened by this nurse. And often that's what happens to people in their life too. It has nothing to do with them. It's just something that has happened in their lifetime, and they are the ones who are suffering because of it. Those who have suffered emotional, physical, psychological, or sexual abuse. Those who have experienced rejection and abandonment. Those who have self-esteem or self-worth issues. Those who have experienced traumas and or tragedies. Those who have experienced broken relationships and unfulfilled expectations. Those who struggle with mental illness and depression. Those who struggle with eating disorders and weight gain issues drug and alcohol addictions. But the most important thing to remember, and this is the last point that I want to bring out in this area, is everyone has the possibility of being one who is hurting at any given point in his or her life. So it's not just the people I've listed above. You and I are all included in that. And I, I, I meant to start off by saying that the reason why I have such a passion for this, and I mentioned it briefly this morning when I, when I introduced the forum, Last year, after I went home from camp and having experienced John's trauma, I mean, he sobbed for days before he could go and share his experience on the stage that Wednesday evening. And he came and shared it with me, but he was not able to share his struggles because I was a woman and he could not share that with me. And I felt so bad that I couldn't reach to the point where he needed my help. And I went home burdened from camp that year. And I said, Lord, I wasn't able to help him. And the Lord said, that's okay. There are others that you can help. And you know, it wasn't long before I found four, and I have now five, that I work with on a regular basis. And I'll talk about that a little bit later in the program. But you have to have a real passion and see the need for these people. What are some of the needs of the hurting? Well, they need someone who can recognize they are hurting. 
And there are signs, but we have to be perceptive. They, like I said last night, they fake a lot of their things so you don't detect that there is a, a hurt there. They need someone who cares and understands what they're going through, someone they can trust and confide in, someone who can give them good Christian counsel, someone who can hold them accountable for their actions and help them change. And that's a very important one. They need somebody alongside to support, someone who can encourage, affirm, and advocate for them. And they also need a support network or a group. Now, I'd like to actually have some sharing from our panel, so I'm going to turn it over to Herda, and she's going to share her experiences. Being that someone who cares and understands the needs of those who are hurting, she will relate how she is helping someone who has been a victim of sexual abuse. Okay, in the aspect of being a helping person for a hurting one, I think the most important quality that we need to have is to have a caring heart. In the account of the Good Samaritan, it said that when he stopped, he had compassion. And that's what differentiated him from the others, to have compassion. So I feel the most important aspect is having a caring heart. There are hurting people all around us, every day at work, at church, in our neighborhood. And if we care enough, God will point them out to us. And he will make us capable to help them. I shouldn't have to say that I can't help you because I don't have any background in that experience. and I don't have any particular uh, knowledge of that issue. That's been my experience. When the Lord laid a certain individual on my heart, I knew that I needed to schedule an evening together. She was glad and eager to accept the invitation and was more than willing to share her problems and issues that she was struggling with. As she opened up about her past, I was at a loss for words. I felt overwhelmed as she told of the sexual abuse that she had suffered as a child. The things that she was trying to come to terms with were very heavy and difficult and far from my own experience and background. I wondered how I could help. What godly advice would I have to offer? And how can I truly empathize and try to understand her problems? That evening I just listened and when she was done, we were both in tears. I prayed with her and asked the Lord to help heal and guide her out of this bondage and torment. I went home and I continued to pray for her and ask the Lord to show how I could help her and that he should lead me to find the right resources. Now, you and I know there's a lot of secular material out there that if we're not careful, the person we're trying to help can end up worse than the original state presented. I needed some material with sound biblical approach that she and I could work through. And I was able to get a hold of a book called Beauty for Ashes. It talks about the example in the Bible found in 2 Samuel 13, 1-20, where Amnon, the half-brother of Tamar, forced her. And uh, in the end, I won't read the whole account, it's... Uh, in the end, when Absalom, her brother, found out, he was very upset, but he said, he downplayed the, t the terrible situation. Hath Amnon, thy brother, been with thee? But hold now thy peace, my sister. He is thy brother. Regard not this thing. This too often is the response to people that have suffered sexual abuse, that it's downplayed, it's covered up, and it's hidden. And these people, often they can live with it, they shut it back in the back chambers of their mind for many, many years. But then eventually it comes forward and they need to deal with it. We schedule our meetings in a restaurant or coffee shop without any, oh, sorry. I found this book at, on the internet from a site called the Anabaptist Bookstore. I read it first. And then I got a second copy for my friend so we could work through lesson by lesson together. Other books I also received from Marg that I would, then I would read them first and pass them on to her. And I brought two of these along and put them on the table. So we could discuss them. These resources were invaluable to me in helping her and in educating me. We couldn't have made much headway without them. We schedule our meetings in a restaurant or coffee shop without any time restraint. 
Occasionally during snow days, we would talk on the phone. Because of the nature of these crimes, I learned that it was imperative that they are acknowledged, brought to the light, and dealt with. Even though confidentiality is vital, at the same time, I must not continue to help cover up and conceal them because secrecy is such a big part of the problem. After we completed all the exercises in Beauty for Ashes, I felt that the leadership of the church needed to get involved. And part of the reason that I worked with her is because of what Mark mentioned earlier, is the gender um, issue. It's very difficult for these people to share these very horrible crimes to somebody of the opposite sex. The leadership helped her in trying to understand God's grace and forgiveness. But as time went on, I began to realize that this was not going to be a quick fix situation. Every time we met, there seemed to be new issues. It was like an onion with layer upon layer that needed to be dealt with. The damaged emotion list was lengthy. Low self-esteem, guilt, anger, that was a very big one, the anger, hopelessness, feelings of worthlessness, overly sensitive. I learned that the road to recovery is zigzag, besides being very lengthy. At present, all present and future experiences and relationships are colored by this abusive past. Often, uh, they don't trust their spouse for no apparent reason. Um, the relationship with the children is often very protective and, and uh, um, watchful, not trusting anyone besides themselves. I also realized every time that we should meet shouldn't only be a counseling session because I didn't want us to end up with the client-therapist relationship. A friendship needed to blossom between us, and this took the form of sharing a hobby where we did do things together as we spent time to build this relationship. Many of these people are hurting because of self-imposed isolation. They have problems moving ahead because they don't really have a true and trusted friend who cares. In summary, if God lays an individual on your heart and you find out there are issues that you feel are far beyond the scope of your experience, don't feel overwhelmed because he will make you capable and he'll equip you with the right resources. All he asks of you is that you have a caring heart. I just wanted to mention one thing. This book is available just across the street in Christian Light Publications. And of all the material that I've read, I find this one the most useful. And if you are a caring person, and even in your own congregation, I've begun to do this whenever I come across a good book. I hand it to the ministers and say this is something that every minister should have. And they're more than happy to, to receive it. Because anybody who's counseling really needs resources too. So we need to share when we find good material. So it's just across the street at Christian Light. And there's another one that goes along with it because, as Herta mentioned, the uh, topic of anger invariably is involved in that. And just recently in, in our little group, we discovered often you try to say, well, who is the anger against? Who are you angry with? And, and we try to determine who do you need to deal with in this. And we came to the conclusion just the other day with our group that most of the anger is really towards themselves, but that's a hard thing to admit, that it's because of the choices that were made or the things that happened, you're angry with yourself. So whenever a situation comes up with someone else, then the anger can be diverted to that person. And really, that's not the whole root of the anger. It's, it's inward, too. The other book by John Koblenz is Putting Off Anger. I think it is, right? Putting Off Anger. And it's an excellent book. And, and at the end of each chapter, there's a little section for them to work through. And I did the same thing as Herta. Asked them to work it through. They didn't have to show me what they wrote, but they, for their own benefit, to work through the book and, and do the little exercises. Thank you, Herta, for sharing. And now Barb will tell us about... Actually, I've got a little summary here that I'd like to share. She's going to share from her own experience of being one of those who was hurting and how she, how she is now able to help others who are experiencing similar hurts. Having experienced anger issues in the past, she's able to help others work through their issues. I'm not sure I'm quite up to par with my neighbors here, but at any rate... Um 
I guess I'd like to say is that everybody has the potential of being the one who's hurting at any given point of his or her life. Um, we don't have to be mentally ill or a drug addict or abandoned in a gutter or sexually abused or some other great tragedy. Um, those issues are very clearly extremely difficult to um, recover from, and everyone would agree that, and life is tough. And, but even the so-called average person, like was said, has the possibility of being hurt at some point in their life. And it's interesting, of course, though, all the answers are the same. And it's all the victory is possible through the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit. But how to get there can be rough. And even to recognize you're in a bad situation can somehow be hard. I didn't figure it out for a long time. Um, I didn't know. I was so hurting and so angry, so very angry. And primarily, I guess one of my major issues was, um, as you all probably know, but anyway, my broken marriage relationship and the unfulfilled expectations of my family. Um, and I didn't see a way out. Um, and what I learned is that it can happen even from relatively minor issues that we can get into trouble. As soon as we start handling our problems from the human nature point of view, secular point of view, away from Christ, we can get into big, 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 big trouble. Big, make wrong choices and get into some very serious spiritual, um, you know, far, far away from Christ. Let me just put it that way. In some real dangerous, evil territory. Um, I was angry. Um, I knew I was hurt long before I realized that I was angry. And my anger wasn't the yelling, screaming, punching, kicking kind for the most part. It was much more civilized. But I was angry, and I was probably the last one to know it. It came out through criticism, taking up offenses for others, um, doing things on my timetable. Um, and the other thing is what I did was I threw myself into my work as a physician. It's pretty easy to do that. It's sort of all-encompassing. And I was well rewarded by my coworkers and patients and the unfortunate part of that whole thing was we were in a small town. My husband and I worked in the same hospital, and I unfortunately had a lot of support, and that was not helpful either. Um, it certainly um, helped to blind me. Um, but it is amazing to me how, in looking back, how deceitful and how wicked my heart was, and I wasn't tuned in. I mean, it says that right in the Bible, and it's true. Um, I also did not have any accountability or close, uh, solid Christian friends at the time. Um, uh, sure, I was going to church. Um, sure, I had some friends at church. But I was so busy, I really didn't have time really doing friendships, trying to raise a bunch of kids and um, be a physician at the same time. And I have since learned that that's an extremely dangerous way to live. Um, I was reading the Bible, I was going to church, I was praying, but it wasn't helping me. And I needed to do something different. It was not until I was able to connect with a strong Christian couple and they provided biblical counseling that my eyes were finally open to my part of the issues in our marriage. Um, you know, perhaps maybe during all those years I was rationalizing, defending what I wanted so that nothing would have helped. I don't know. Um, but I felt that I did reach out for help, and I couldn't find it. I went to marriage seminars. There were some that our church provided at the time, but I kind of came away with uh, more dissatisfa dissatisfaction with my marriage and how far away from what it should be. Um, uh, I, rather than enlightenment in how I need to be submissive to God's word, I tried Christians who were psychologists, but in essence, that was secular counseling, and it didn't get to any, well, it got maybe to roots of problems in a sense, but not biblical roots of problems, and certainly didn't have any of the answers. Okay, so you figure out a whole bunch of stuff. You analyze why, 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 but 
doesn't get you anywhere. And also, I was a physician and the one who helps. And I wasn't used to taking the role of needing to ask for help in that simple way that I needed to. And although that's what I desperately wanted, somehow I didn't even know. I didn't know how to do it. Um, In general, I felt a great void in trying to find help for many years. Because of what I have experienced in a near dissolution of our marriage, but then subsequent victory and reconciliation by the power of the Holy Spirit and following God's word, I am really excited that something actually works. You don't have to be burdened all the time. As my friends were, burdening, uh, were commenting on the backpack that I carry around as one who likes to carry around burdens, no, I don't, but I like two free hands. But um, seriously, that God, it really works. The power of the Holy Spirit, I mean, it's so cool. God's promises are true, and they can stand against all evil, even the worst of the sexual abuse. It's the same answer, and I am so thankful. And it's given me a burden for people, and I mean, there's another sort of interesting thing, I guess I do. Um, Once I retired from being a physician, all of a sudden I didn't have a secretary to tell me where to be, where to go at certain times of the day, and and I was kind of lost. And then I found myself praying, God, you need to prioritize my day, as dumb and simple as that is. You know, what do I do, where, when? And um, it's interesting, God brings, has been bringing people into my life who have been hurting or marriage troubles, or things of that sort. Um, Also, I can see others who are on a self-destructive course. You kind of, when you've been through stuff like this, you kind of see it easier. But how do I reach them? How does God reach them? How can I help them? How can I show them that Jesus loves them and that they need to turn away from their present course and submit to God's way? and take responsibility for their own actions, their own emotions, and their words. I would like to learn better how to help people and counsel them. Although I've learned a lot in how to apply biblical principles through my individual reading, from my experience, and through listening from my own counselors, okay, I think I need to learn more. In particular... I, need, I know I need to learn to listen better. That's a technique. And how, this is the other one that I don't really know how to do well, how to guide people, that person, into what then that person senses to be a self-discovery of the biblical principles that are being violated. I mean, you can tell somebody. You can just look at your own children. You can tell them, this is right, this is wrong. They don't hear you. They don't get it until they can bring it inward, until the Holy Spirit really convicts them. And then once that is realized, then you can proceed with confession, with repentance, conforming to the mind of Christ. I know it doesn't work that well with my kids. I don't know. Um, I know if I had been told, and I'm sure my mom just left so I can say I didn't hear it. I didn't hear it. (laughs) Somehow my ears were closed. Um, People need to hear it in a way that they will then be able to take responsibility for and own it. And some of these techniques maybe we can learn from our psychologists that we have in our group. The other really, really key thing is that I've learned that prayer works. I know many prayed for me, and I'm going to tell you all thank you because I know there are a bunch of you here And that's the wonderful thing that's so cool about our church. We pray for each other. We may not even tell each other that we're praying for each other, but we pray for each other, and not just in our local congregation, but all over the place, no matter where you are. The other good thing about prayer is that even if someone is rejecting God and his ways, they cannot reject your prayers. That's really cool. Think about it. Also, I've learned that coming alongside somebody is key. To just tell somebody the truth, even if you try to do it in love and with compassion, I think when they realize that you're human too, and even if you didn't do some of these evil things, all of us have fought it. 
or have gone through stuff in our heads. And remember, Jesus said, if you hate your brother, or call him stupid, Raka, it's the same as murder. That's what Jesus said. If you look at someone lustfully, it's the same as committing adultery. So we need to remember, we really are all human, and we really do share that struggle It may not be coming out quite the same in our behavior, but inwardly we can share that. And I think when we can share with people, I call it, it was said before, coming alongside, they can realize that we're human too. We can relate to them. We're we're, uh, walking alongside and carrying them out of the pit, not jumping in the pit and staying in there with them, I'm not talking about that kind of compassion. I was good at that before. But no, you've got to stay outside the pit, but give them the helping hand and bring them along and realize that we're not any different. The difference is the power of Christ. Are you following his ways and submitting to him and tapping into his power or not? Because if you stand there and just beat at them with this is what the Bible says or telling them they need to put, pull themselves up by their bootstraps, they're not going to see it. They're not going to hear it. And it isn't the whole truth unless it's told in love. Um, there are courses and seminars to increase our knowledge. In general, I believe we need more people in our congregations who have a heart for biblical counseling. It's not a job reserved for the, just the minister's. And it's part of the Christian walk to help our brothers and sisters from falling. Thank you. Just like to make a couple of comments from what Barb said. Thank you, Barb, for your insights. The one point that she mentioned about recognizing it is very true. The people in my group can recognize, excuse me, they can recognize, excuse me. This is usually my husband's trade, not mine. <laughs> they, can, they can recognize each other or they can recognize those who are hurting before the rest of us can because they've been there. And I'm looking forward to the day that the people in my group will graduate to the point where they can begin to help others because they'll do a much better job of it than I'm doing. I know they will. And the other point that she mentioned was lack of knowledge. Yesterday was a typical example for me. Someone was hurting and I happened to be there at the right moment and I believe God orchestrated it that way and I felt so inadequate when that burden was shared with me I just kept playing Lord give me wisdom give me wisdom to know what to answer to decipher to discern what is the real issue because like she said the issues are camouflaged and like Herta mentioned it's like an onion there are layers there you've got to peel it back before you come to the real issue And it takes time, and ministers don't have the time to do it. They are already bogged down. And I work quite closely with with Brother Doug in in our group, and he refers people to me that he feels need more time spent in that area, and I let him know um, not the confidentiality things, but I let him know things that I think that are okay to be said and that he can help out with. But each individual takes considerable time to work with. We're going to hear now from from, uh, Martha. She's experienced much pain in her life due to miscarriages. She's now available to relate to others with similar experiences. Because of her own experiences, she's able to come alongside those who are hurting and help them work through their issues. I do work with hurting people, but it's not necessarily the the serious ones, like the the sexually abused or someone going through an anger issue or um, a broken marriage. But I work more one-on-one with people just like all of us that are hurting every day, that have um, personal issues in their lives that are major to them but maybe not to everybody else. If you are one of those people that work with other hurting people or if you are a hurting person, I want you to write this this passage down. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 7. When I found those verses, it was almost as if God was telling me, these are my verses that I am giving to you for your life. 
And I, it blows me away every time I read them because they're so personal. And I want you to listen to this while I read a few, and then I'm, I'll read a few more in the end. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. The reason why we go through things in our lives is because God wants us to be able to experience his comfort so that we can comfort somebody else who needs it. And when we're going through those trials, it is not easy to see that, and we struggle with that. But after the fact, it's so important to remember that the reason why we've experienced it is because it's our job now to give it to somebody else. Um, Margaret mentioned that I had gone through some miscarriages. I had postpartum depression, tests for possible multiple sclerosis, difficult situations in church relationships, um, major disappointments in life, being very lonely, living on my own in Phoenix, the only older sister in the church, broken relationships between family and friends, typical things that most people experience sometime in their lives. Those are the kinds of things that I experienced because those are the kinds of things that the people that enter my life are experiencing and I need to be able to relate to them. How am I involved in helping them? How do I, what do I do to help them? My involvement is usually temporary. I don't sit down and go through a workbook like Herta does because our relationships are more on a friendship level. We need to speak heart to heart. Um, a lot of those relationships are already established friendships. Um, and if they're not, then they get that way very fast. Um, we don't meet on a, a regular basis. It's usually very informally with phone calls, short discussions in church as we're passing, usually in code, so nobody knows what we're talking about. Um, we meet with each other at restaurants. We have each other over for coffee at home. We email each other. Each situation is different, and I know that each one of you that helps somebody does the same thing. I believe that the Holy Spirit convicts me on a regular basis as to who needs help, and I ask him for that. There are many times, especially on my way to a camp like this or just a weekend with a bunch of people, I'll pray and ask God, who is it? Who is it this time? I know there's somebody that I need to talk with. There's somebody that needs me to listen to them. There's somebody that needs me to pray with them. Show me who it is because I don't know right now, and prepare me for it too. Sometimes I approach people, sometimes I wait for them to approach me. That doesn't always happen, but it does. Um, sometimes I'm direct and just say, what's going on, if that's necessary. Sometimes I just make friends with them first and allow that friendship relationship to be established before we can start bearing our souls with each other. Each situation is different. How have my own hurts helped me? Let me read the rest of these verses to you if you don't have your Bible in Second Corinthians I'm going to read verse 4 again. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth in Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall you also be, so shall ye also of the consolation. That's what I want to spread on to the next group of people like you were saying, Margaret. My job is to help the people that are right in front of me and in turn help them to help the person that they're going to touch. It's an ongoing thing. We're all part of the body. Um, I look for hurting people around me, like I said. I establish a trust relationship. I make myself vulnerable by sharing my experiences, as those of you who were in here yesterday found out. <laughs> I listen. That's the most important thing. Sometimes keeping your mouth shut is better than saying anything at all. Just listening and letting them tell you what's on their hearts. With prior consent, I'll share names of others who have gone through similar experiences and encourage them to dialogue with them. Only if I know that two people have the same problem or someone has gone through something already and I know that they can help somebody else, I will ask, can I, 
have them talk to you? Can I share their name? Um, I follow up on a consistent basis until I feel that they're grounded again in whatever situation they're in. I work with my convictions. If the Holy Spirit tells me that somebody's hurting, I have to go. I have to say something to them. I have to send them a note or call them or approach them because if not, that's on my shoulders. Um, I keep confidentiality a priority. Fred and I have made an agreement right from the beginning that we do not share our conversations with other people unless the other person gives us permission to do so. Nothing gets said because confidentiality is extremely important in times like this when you're a hurting person. So even though the issues that I work with aren't long-term or heavy-duty, they're, they're real life, they're important to the people that are experiencing them, and it's part of our job to help restore the body. And I just want to talk to the people right now who are the hurting people. I want to challenge you to be brave. Joshua 1, 9, I'm sorry, I'm just... I'm putting myself back in the position again of when I'm hurting. Joshua 1.9 says, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. I want to encourage you to take a risk and to ask someone for help. But before you do that, I want you to pray that God would show you that right person. Because not everybody is matched up with just anybody to talk with. Pray that God will show you who that person is that can help you out. Go slowly. You don't have to just blurt everything out to the first person that you think you need to talk to. Take baby steps. Establish a friendship. Tell them enough that you can feel safe, and if you know that you're safe, then move on and share some more. You don't have to just jump right in. You can, you can make sure that you feel safe enough to share Be careful not to build walls or to burn bridges with each other. If someone does hurt you, be very careful that you don't do that because we're all part of the body of Christ. And if we build up walls or burn our bridges, we're going to be left standing alone when we need help. And for those of you, for, sorry, I would like you to also forgive the people that are helping you if they say or do something that's not quite what you wanted to hear or what you needed. Most of the time, they mean well, and they may say the wrong thing, but forgive them. And just understand that they may not know the whole situation that you're in. Give them the benefit of the, of the doubt. Once God has led you to someone that you can trust to open up with, thank him for that person, thank him for that provision, and pray for their wisdom too. Because like Margaret said, when you're... Faced with someone that um, is going through something that you're not comfortable with, it's a difficult thing. You don't always know what to say or what to do or what direction to point them in. So pray for the person that you are talking with, that they would also have the wisdom to help you. Um, I just want to read these verses again because I think they're so important for us. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And I just want to challenge all of you who are the helpers to remember that the reason why you have gone through trials in your life is to now comfort. And if you're the one that's going through a trial and you're hurting, one day you're going to be the one who needs to give the comfort that you've received now. Thank you, Martha. A lot of wisdom in what she said this afternoon. Thank you for sharing. I'm just going to briefly um, outline what, I, <clears throat> what I've been doing in, <clears throat> in Toronto with our group. Actually, it wasn't a group to begin with. It was, started with one individual that I really felt a compassion for and had started last year at camp and shared openly with me different times. And so uh, I was very encouraged and thought, well, when we go home from camp, I'll just continue and work with that person. And I waited and I waited and I thought, I didn't get any response. She seemed like she was really interested in working and working out some of the issues. And I began to think, is this ever going to happen? 
So then I started to pray about it and I thought, well, I, I guess I have to make the initiative. And that's the thing sometimes that happens with these hurting people. Even though if you've made the initial contact, don't let it slide. Don't let it slide because it will, it will fizzle out and it will fizzle away and you may not get the opportunity again with that person. You need to keep up the contact. And so I just one day decided, just gave her a call and said, do you mind if I come over and visit you? And that was the beginning. And then from there I could go on. And then I said, well, could we do this on a regular basis? And so we decided once a week would be just fine. And so we started that. And, and it got to the point where I had two or, two or three other people. And then Brother Doug referred one to me. And so before I knew it, I had about four people that I was working with. And each person that I worked with, I felt or found, it took about two to three hours at the beginning especially to hear all their, their, their issues and their things that they were dealing with. And as someone mentioned here earlier, you must be a good listener, especially at the beginning. It's so important. They need to unload. And they need to unload to someone that they have the confidence in. And so then I began to think of a, an organized way of doing this because with four people, three hours each, that's a fair amount of time. And Eckhart is very understanding and very supportive of this. And so um, in our city, we live quite a distance apart from each other. So I made it a point that I'm going to choose one day. And I called this because I didn't. And the other thing was, this is not, I have not shared this with many people in our church. I don't know how many people know I'm doing this because I didn't really want it to be broadcast because I wanted to keep the confidentiality of the people. And it's something that is kind of underground in churches, and you'll find it happening, but it's more on an underground basis. And so I decided I would set up a particular day, and I call this my support therapy day. I have support for my husband first that I can do it, and then I go out and lend my support to the others. I start, maybe leave the house about 9, 9.30 in the morning, and sometimes I don't come back home till about 8.30, and he's okay with that. And... Uh, I feel then I can limit it to that one day, then the rest of my week I have time to do other things, and, and it doesn't really monopolize that whole week. The first few sessions that you go through with people, you're overwhelmed by the issues, and I come home every time thinking, oh my goodness, how could that person have survived what happened in their life? But, but I'm really thankful that the Lord has been able to take away the things that they've done, it, it, and they've said to me, how can you take all the things that we've shared with you? Don't they bog you down? But I guess as you get older, older, one of the things is you forget easily. So I'm thankful for that. I don't keep those things because it really can bog you down when you start thinking about some of those issues. So, um, and another thing, I, I've had other experiences that have probably been pretty horrendous that I've listened to from different other people. And so the Lord has taught me how not to take it all in and keep it inside but to give it over to him and let him uh, take care of those burdens. And the other thing I try to relate to the people early on when they're, when they're sharing these things, because sometimes they like to share these things to get self-pity. And many of them had been doing that for a number of times, just finding people that they can relate their experiences to so that they're pitied. So when they finished unloading to me, I used the Corey Ten Boom story where she says, you know, when Jesus forgives you for your sins... He throws them into the sea of forgetfulness and forgiveness, and he puts a sign on the shore that says, no fishing allowed. So once they've told me they are not allowed to go back and delve into that story again, it's told, it's released, it's let go, it's forgotten. And it's not only to me, but to anyone else, and that's important. And so as you, as you learn to relate with these people um, and to share with them, you do build friendships, and you do find things that you common interest, and you, in order to keep that, that active and that going, you need to have that ongoing relationship with them. And then it wasn't so long ago that one person in my group said, you know, I, I never shared the names, first of all, of the people that I work with. I just said another person, and again, as was said here, anything I shared was with the consent of the other person. Or I'd say another person said, just shared that similar experience to me, with me. And this one person said to me, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't it be good if we could get together? And I was actually waiting for that because we were trying to set up a support group. And so from that one person's needs, I approached the other ones and said, would you be willing to meet as a group? 
oh, that would be great. And so we arranged that every other week now, I, have, I call it our support group, we get together. We spend um, an hour and a half, yes, about an hour and a half, and we just deal with, with different issues. First of all, we did a little inventory to see where our damaged emotions were. I had a little questionnaire that I gave them. We determined, and I did the questionnaire along with them because I have baggage. We all do. And so it, for us to acknowledge that we have those things that we've dealt with and how did we deal with them. And in fact, in one of our sessions, they said, well, how come you had all those similar or some similar experiences to, to what we had, and yet you don't seem to have issues? But I think the one thing that we determined was I, we had the sibling relationship, a good sibling relationship, which kept us together, where they didn't even have that. And so they really missed out in, in all aspects of their family life. And so from, from that, then we took this inventory, we talked about things that we thought we need to, to, to talk about in general, and then we discussed those and, and we opened up at these support groups and talked to each other. And then one of the issues that came up was anger, of course. So we decided that we needed to all delve into anger. My fifth person in the group had re experienced rejection and abandonment terribly in her life. And in fact, the first time I went, I never made an appointment with her. I just called from my cell phone and said, you know, I just happened to be going by your... No, actually that day I didn't even call because she was, in, she was quite badly depressed and hadn't been out and hadn't been in contact with anyone. And I thought, I'll just go up and try to see if I can stop and see her. And I rang the doorbell, and she lives in an apartment building, and she looked out the window, and she said, show your face. <laughs> I began to cringe. I thought, well, do I dare or don't I? I wasn't sure what I should do, but I thought, well, I've come this far. I guess I'll go the rest of the way. Well, the first, she looked, I was surprised at how she looked because she was so depressed. And the first session, we didn't really do too much. We talked a little bit, and I just hugged her three or four times, and then she began slowly to open up. And I was just so elated because the last support group meeting we had just before we came to camp, I've been trying to get her to come. No, I can't be a part of a group. No, I can't do that. I can't open up to people. I don't want people to know about me. And so I mentioned it to her again this Sunday just before our Tuesday meeting. And so Monday the phone rings and she said, you know, you invited me on Sunday once more. She said, I'm coming to the meeting. I was so excited. I was so elated. And she came and she participated in that meeting and it was a real breaking of the ice for her. And the thing that I find so rewarding about this aspect of, of the support therapy is the fact that you can be excited when you see the progress with them. And, I, and, I, and, it's, and it's just amazing sometimes how the Lord works and how you see that progress. Our time is kind of running, so I want to just mention a couple of other things before we open it up to any comments or questions. And this is now turning it kind of to the side of what can you do to help the hurting. And I know we've mentioned some things here, but I've got a list of things. Don't be overwhelmed, please. <laughs> but it's just some C words that I came across and that we kind of brainstormed. And I'll just go through them and read them quickly. First of all, I think the most important thing is you have to be you have to feel convicted and called by God to do this. It's not for everyone, as we mentioned before. You must have the ability to, to comfort others. You must be a caring person who has a great concern for others. You will need to make a connection with the person, even approach him or her first. Find something of common interest to begin building your relationships. You must be able to make a commitment to the person once you begin working with them. That was another thing that that person said to me that I was so apprehensive about going to visit. And when I got in that, that, that first day, she said, I know, you're going to drop me just like everybody else. And whoa, you know, and, and for the first few sessions that I had with her, I really had to tread slowly so that I would not offend, that I would not be told to, no, don't bother coming back. Some days, if they're bad days with her, I take my things in my briefcase. She said, you can come in, but your briefcase stays outside. <laughs> <laughs> so I gauge how the meeting is going to go by that reaction. So, uh, another thing, you will need to spend time with the person on a consistent basis. I find once a week not too much for me. Now you have to set it up according to your needs and according to the people who, people's schedules. Whatever is shared with you must be held in strict confidentiality. You must have good communication skills, especially the listening skills. You must have confidence in God's ability to use you and that's where I lack sometimes because I feel so inadequate. You must feel capable with God's help because he will equip you. 
And I have found that so many times, especially one of the cases that I deal with, you know, and she sensed it too. And she just sensed that I didn't know where I was going or what, what I was going to say next. And I'm just totally amazed by the way the Lord leads the discussion. And I come out just feeling, wow, I would have never thought of that on my own. And it, it, his wisdom is what comes through in the end. However, we also need to make an effort to gain some educational knowledge on the issue of that, the, of the issue that the person is dealing with. And I believe I haven't read as many books as I have read this past year. I just, Eckhart keeps saying, you think you're still teaching and you've got an education budget <laughs> because I'm, all, <laughs> I'm always buying books. <laughs> but they are helpful books. And I keep saying, this one's so good. I've got to have this one too. I can loan this one to so-and-so. And so I've made up a two-page bibliography if you're interested. <laughs> it's on the table. <clears throat> um, and the other thing is you must have, give continual encouragement. These people slide to the bottom so quickly. They, you, you think, oh, we're on a roll. We're really getting somewhere. And you talk to the next day on the phone, and all of a sudden, whoosh, they're back at the bottom. And you need to build them up again, encourage them. So these, these things are really important to keep in mind. <clears throat> There's one thing that I just want to mention. is um, Some of the things that they are hindered, hindered with or blocked with, and these are just a few points uh, before I go into some practical advice. Being raised in less than a nourishing, nur nurturing family has many negative results. Most non-nourishing families, nurturing, sorry, families, are in effect shame-based families. Being raised in a shame-based family causes us to adopt some powerfully negative, false, core beliefs. And I'll list a few of them. And I find that especially with one or two of mine that I'm dealing with. I'm a no-good person. I don't have any worth. I this, I that. And it is so hard to help them realize that God loves them. God wants and can do things in their life. And these are some of their beliefs. I am basically a bad, unworthy person, not because of my behavior, but because I am me. That's core, and that's hard to, to, to argue against that one or to convince them. No one would love me as I am. Therefore, I will put on a face that I know they, they will love. And they adapt to what they think you want to hear. They become people pleasers, even though inside they're seething, they're resenting, doing the things that you ask them to do. My needs are never going to be met if I depend on others to meet them. So I, so I must meet my own needs or find the right person who will meet all my needs. Protection from pain is my most important need, and I must avoid pain at all costs. I must protect myself because no one else will protect me. I'm bad because I'm protecting myself and hiding my real face. I don't love myself. That's another big one with them. Others don't love me. God must hate me too. And that's a real big thing for them to overcome. And these are feelings that they experience to the core of their being. And it's hard to, to persuade them otherwise. Okay, some suggestions and practical advice. You must be a strong, well-grounded Christian in order to be able to help others. This kind of work is not for everyone. Talk to someone already doing this kind of work to be aware of all the implications. Become knowledgeable about the issues the person is dealing with. Always be ready to encourage the person to seek professional help if things become too difficult for you to handle. Always encourage the person to seek additional help from, their, from your local minister when more spiritual guidance is needed. Be committed to pray for the person on a daily basis with him or her whenever the opportunity arises. There came a point in our uh, little sessions with each other that there were specific needs or specific issues that they had to deal with. So we were going on an extended trip, and before we went away, I talked to each person individually, and we pinpointed the issue. And I said, I want you to commit to 30 days of prayer, and I will pray for you every day. But I need you to pray for this specific need every day, and God can make it work. You should have a good working relationship and communication with your local church ministry. That's important. Communicate with those who are helping others in order to have a network for information and knowledge on how to deal with various situations. And my vision for the next phase of this is to really start a network. 
And I'm so glad I already have a partial network here because we've already begun to exchange, not only in knowledge and books and information, but in if they have a question that, what did you do with your person when this came up? How did you handle this? And so we would really would like to set up a network of people in, in churches who are wanting to do this and possibly even setting up a website, I haven't talked to Gary about this yet, through ACCMBC, where I've read a number of books and I've made a little summary of these books. People don't have the time to read or don't stay up to four in the morning to read like I do sometimes. And so uh, we'd like to maybe post uh, on this website some of these books with some of this information or even um, tips or whatever we can that, that would be a source of information or books that we've come across that would be of interest and that would be able to share some knowledge in that way. But I really am interested in setting up a group. So if you are interested in one of those people, uh, email me or we'll get in touch somehow before the end of the week so that we can go to the next phase because I really feel our church, our churches need this kind of input and this kind of help for our people. We've got a few minutes and I'd like to open it up now for comments or questions. You can address it to anyone on the panel if you want. Bethany, could you please? So it will be on the tape. Um, a couple years ago, I went through, actually I should say a couple years ago it started, and just recently I uh, finally had victory over it, but I went through a really, really hard trial. Uh, it was something that I didn't want to talk to many people about because I would, uh, I kind of thought that they wouldn't understand, and I talked to my mom and my sister a little bit, but neither of them seemed to really have any experience like that. Um, it was so hard and I felt uh, like I just couldn't bear it, even though God was giving me the, str the strength to get through it. I felt like I was just hanging by a thread sometimes. And um, I finally decided I just could not bear this by myself, and I needed to talk to somebody about it. And I talked to, um, I called a, a ministering brother in our church, and <laughs> I thank God so much. His cordless phone was not working that day, so he had to talk on the phone in the kitchen. And his wife happened to be there too. And she had kind of overheard the conversation and... and uh, she had said, oh, what's wrong with Bethany, thinking that it was a cousin of theirs. And so he kind of relayed the conversation. And um, she approached me in church, and she talked to me about it. And she said, I went through exactly the same thing. Um, it was such, she was sent from God because I would still be struggling with it if she wouldn't have come, come to me. And she said, it is Satan telling you these lies. Uh, there's nothing like, all the fears that I had, you know, they, they totally, I shouldn't say they disappeared right away. I still struggled with it a little bit, but just knowing that somebody had been through this and seeing what a, a strong sister she is um, gave me so much hope, and it was so much easier for me to tell Satan to go away. Um, and I just want to encourage anybody, if you know of somebody that is going through something that's similar to your experience, please tell them, because if it wasn't for her, I would still be on the brink of despair. Um, so I just want to encourage you all. If you know of somebody, please talk to them. Thank you. Thank you, Bethany, for sharing. That's so encouraging. Any other comments or questions? What are some signs of a hurting person? I'll pass it along. This is time I can pass the buck. You recognize it. You were the one who was caring. Um, somebody that's uh, a loner, keeps to themselves, sort of on the outside looking in, a, a longing look in their eyes, um, low confidence, and uh, very sensitive, and you just sense with the Lord's Spirit that this person needs a hand to draw them out. Do you want to add to that? There can be a lot of physical symptoms um, many diseases um, really have a root in hurting, stress, things like that. The body reacts in many different ways in that. And it's an interesting um, constellation of symptoms. It can be very, very varied, and it can mimic many other diseases. Often these people go through all sorts of medical tests, and uh, they need Jesus. It can also be somebody who is the class clown, 
that wants to hide who they really are. Someone who has to be the show-off to, to mask what's going on inside. Or they don't want to talk to anybody, they don't make eye contact, they avoid interaction with people. It can go to all extremes. Our time is up, and I know there's another forum being presented in here in about 15 minutes. So if you want to talk personally, please feel free to come up to us. And there are handouts here a little bit more elaborate than what we um, uh, mentioned in the forum and some bibliographies. Thank you very much for attending.